This is the official Covering the Corner podcast, episode 174. I am your host, Matt Lyons, and in this week's episode, we'll have some meatballs for you, some little tidbits of what happened this week in baseball. Talk about Shane Bieber breaking records in his missing cutter this season. Talk about Jordan Luplo, if he can actually hit right-handed batters, if not, then, or right-handed pitchers, and if he can't, what are we going to do with him? What are we going to do with this whole Cleveland roster in general? Uh, we'll look ahead to the White Sox and Yankees series coming up. One team that just hit no that no hit Cleveland, another team that looks like they are entirely on fire for all the wrong reasons. And we asked everybody on Twitter what their ideal outfield for Cleveland would be right now. We actually got a ton of responses to that, so we'll we'll go through a bunch of those. Uh, a lot of great ideas, a lot of Albert Bell suggestions in there, which I will take. Um, but we'll talk about that. And join me for all that and more. Then Mr. Merritt Rolfing, Merritt, how you doing? Do we not have a name for the podcast? Oh yeah, we're the Covering the Corner podcast. We talked about this, man. Okay, sorry. I just my life is full of puns and irony. I figured we'd pick one of the two, and so, but we got neither, and here we are. Well, we have a corner conversations. We're going to use for something else, so because that was a good one. But corner talk was too little. I also don't want to do like a million corner things because we've all we've already done a million corner things. So I guess back it off. We can talk about the middle of the street sometimes. There's also yeah. roundabouts. There's um, interchanges. Uh, what else we got? We got. Um, Bridges, that's another piece of infrastructure. There we go. We'll just be the infrastructure podcast. There is this mailbox that's on the corner down near my house that I stare at a lot, and I'm pretty sure is being marked by a man who's a spy every now and again for when he has a dead drop is full. Either that or it's graffiti. I can't tell which, but I stare at it every day (laughs) while I drink coffee in the morning. (laughs) I know you don't live in like a small... Is town. I, I guess no, I live in anyone, the but... capital of the entire country. <laughs> yeah. But I just, so I don't think you have like the, no, the same experience of, I don't know if you've ever used the next door app, but my personal favorite for around here was somebody was outside their car smoking at the same spot every day. And so that was like the big story on our local next door for about a solid month until somebody asked him and he just works at the hospital nearby yeah. and drives down the smoke. And that was it. And that was, so when you live in a town of like 10,000 people, that's the big story of the month. Yeah, I remember just, my last job, cause it was out kind of in this one of those kind of, you know, large cities have like, and DC's not a large city, medium sized cities have like this kind of crappy industrial small towns where like all the HVAC companies are and like all the plumbing companies are and there's like an old train yard. Anyway, every day at work, I didn't want to be near work during lunch. So I drive across the street to the church and just nap in the parking and nap in the in the parking lot in my car. Uh, eventually a sign popped up saying, Do not loiter here. I was like, damn, it was such a it was great. It was a great treat and that so I found a an a industrial park to nap in the backyard of you gotta find a place to just dick around when you're when you're the job you hate. <laughs> you know what else uh I'm not going to leave the dick around. That's weird. Yep. (laughs) Slapping noise. (laughs) Meatballs. Meatballs, Merritt. That's what links to the last thing you just said in a totally normal way. (laughs) Very smooth, Um, (laughs) Matthew. (laughs) There was, of course, some baseball this week. Some of it not great. I'd say a lot of it not great. The White Sox series was really good, but... That was maybe, honestly, that was probably going to be the best series of the entire year from an objective observer's oh, yeah. point of view i mean if i'm being quite honest unspeakable horror well again happened, but. from a neutral point of view you got to see a landmark event you got and you saw a couple incredible games so fantastic game. yeah so what's your meatball this week Merritt, for all the games that we saw i encapsulate the series over the weekend with the reds uh, first leg of my favorite event of the baseball season that's right the ohio cup i'm referring to it as a leg because i'm watching too much soccer uh i know most people don't really give a damn about the ohio cup i think it's a neat thing though and i wish that Major League Baseball would push these 
things like this more, I guess. I don't know. I mean, obviously, they talk about the freeway series and the subway series, but this is a fun one. I even wish that there was like a banner, because obviously there was a cup that they exchanged, like, a, like a, an actual trophy. I wish there was a banner that flew that like, it was like half red and half blue and like it was half, you know, whatever. I don't know. And so like whoever holds the cup also flies the banner that year. And that way the, the fans could also point to him and go, hell yeah. And then there could be hijinks. Take with, that, Cincinnati! With stealing it, yeah, you know. I mean, hey, we're, we're all we're all we're, we're all here just battling for the favor of beautiful Columbus. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, my meatball kind of encapsulates the whole series and about something that a weird little kind of nugget that nearly happened if not for Josh Naylor. Um, if Josh Naylor hadn't biffed that play in the ninth inning of, the, of Saturday's game, which was very sad, we're all upset about it. We all love Josh Naylor here. We were very close to having, in every single game, the losing team have both the top exit velocity and the furthest hit ball in the seat or in the in that game. I know that's very kind of obscure, but I just thought it was a neat, weird thing. And, and on Friday, Andres Jimenez hit a ball 110.2 miles an hour. Meta Rosario hit one 399 miles an hour. Both of those, the top exit velocity and distance. Uh, Cleveland lost 10 to three in Saturday. Jesse Winker hit the ball 109 or 111 miles an hour, and Tucker Barnard hit one 412. And now again, if not for the biffing, uh, that would have been a win for the Tribe and then also the Reds doing it. And on Sunday, Tyler Naquin hit the ball 109.6 and 428 feet. They lost that game. Uh, yeah, just a neat little thing. Um, baseball's full of just weird ebbs and flows of and now we have more data than ever we get to play with it also the winning team had the highest velocity thrown in every single game if not that biffing who won who won the reds could beat him in, or i guess class a probably didn't pitch every he didn't game, he but... didn't pitch well, that's the thing he didn't pitch one actually no no never mind he went not there to 16 yeah uh Cionel perez through 97.5 uh class a did not pitch on friday couldn't even hit a hundred. Wow, Reds. garbage, garbage. They call you him. You don't have a guy who throws a hundred mile per hour cutter. Are you trying right now? They call him Garbage McTrash Man, and <laughs> that's a name that's, a, that's assigned to literally anyone who can't hit the ball a hundred miles an hour easily. Unless they're Shane Bieber, then you can. Unless you can well, throw seven different pitches, then wrong. Also, Garbage McTrash Man. Well, all go. pitchers. There's three guys out there who aren't Garbage McTrash Man. Mine um, is, and it relates to the biffing in in question. Is Josh Naylor's. Uh, I like biffing. That's a good name for it. It was basically a Bill Buckner play the ball one under his glove. It was a bounce. But I think people are forgetting the fact that before that, he had two decent plays at first base. They weren't exactly the most difficult plays in the world. The first one was a 92.3 mile per hour ground out. The second was 67.8 miles per hour with a weird bounce. So this wasn't like plays that anybody would struggle with, but he, he's barely played first base. He barely played it. Um, he wasn't hit to a whole lot when he was there on Saturday. And then he made those twos really cleanly. And if he would have made that last play, I think we'd be talking about how pretty decent he was at first base and not that last play where I'm assuming either he, he thought he had the ball or he thought it was going to bounce. Like it was like a half inch away from being in his glove. It was so ridiculously close, but he missed. Um, but I think it was just a a misplay. Obviously he looked torn up behind. Like they showed the shot of Class A he after sure he gave up a hit man. afterwards. He looked just devastated. <laughs> There's so many people saying that he's like terrible in defense and he just sucks. But he's not a great defender, but I think he's a perfectly fine first baseman. I think for 99% of that game, he proved that he could play first base if Bobby Bradley and Jake Bowers are nothing and they end up going away. And I think he's fine at first base. And I wish he would have made that play. And we could talk about that. That he was all right there. And also that Fran Reyes was just a Mack truck out there who with a rocket arm. Because <laughs> he's the funniest thing is was watching him chase down the ball. And he's he's the slowest man I've ever seen running the outfield. But then he just trebuchets the ball into the infield with zero accuracy. 
there were two throws. There was one, I think he just was supposed to throw it to the cutoff man, but he just, I don't know, Jose Ramirez caught it between second and third for some reason. Who needs a cutoff man? <laughs> and then another one, it was two second base, but the second baseman was almost at the pitcher's mound. So he's got, it, it's a cannon. It's just not a very well-aimed cannon in right field. And that's also, this ties into Josh Naylor too, because watching Naylor out there, he does not have what you would consider a cannon. It's I swear kind of he's like thrown a, the ball into the dirt. Oh, he did. He spiked so, at least one of several them. Several times. And they cut away I've too soon. It. Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. I feel like I'm like, is that an arm? No? Okay. He is, I mean. And when he does throw, it's a it's a noodle arm. It's like a wet pool noodle just slinging the ball out there. No, nah, he's, he's built to be a left fielder. I will say, I never I was looking at this for an article I'm writing, but he does, in his overall professional career, he has played more first base than any other position. It's just in the majors, he hasn't done it very much. In the minor, he has 2,200 innings at first base. And only 2,000 in the outfield, of which 1,400 is in left field. Now, he, again, built to be a left fielder, noodly arm, probably not a great, uh, you know, defender in general. you got to hide him somewhere. Yeah, and I also think he didn't play first base this year. Like, no matter how good you are, no matter how many of you played thousands of games, yeah. like, if you haven't played for a while, and then you're put in there, and just then stuff in you there. three straight balls coming to you. Yeah. It'll go great. I'm sure of it. Yeah, and it's also just weird the fact that he got three straight grounders to him. I guess with Emmanuel Classe on the mound, it's not unexpected he's going to get a lot of ground balls, but it was just kind of interesting it's going to Naylor, which also, I mean, just Classe is the closer in general. Like, this isn't a topic we had planned, but I think it's kind of interesting that he is clearly the closer now. Like, it's not James Karinczak. He's the guy who comes in whenever they need an out, and then Whit Grin looks like the setup guy, and Classe is the closer. It's kind of, I guess that play proved why you can't have Classe be your clutch guy, because he's not going to strike anybody out, and anything can happen when the ball hits the ground, but yeah, um, we saw it then at least, but he's been a good closer, but just... Josh Naylor kind of screwed him over there, but I don't think he was as bad as people thought at first base. I thought he was fine. And if he doesn't make that one play, um, just kind of in general, like if you have an opinion that feels strong, but you can turn it based on one tiny little thing, your opinion probably isn't that strong as you think it is. Like if that one little thing is the difference between thinking Josh Naylor is a great first baseman and a terrible first baseman, he's probably like somewhere in between. And that's where I think he is. I think he's perfectly fine. Not great. But if he can at least hit, then he's better than whatever they have now. And Bowers are probably Bradley at this point. Are we can. There's a reason that positional adjustments for first base are inherently a negative. Like it's a place where you, again, you in the National League, it's a place where you hide people uh, if you can. In the American League, it's a place where you put your second worst uh, good hitter who can def- who can't defend. So uh, obviously, it was it's nice when you have a good defensive first baseman, but there's a reason we remark on those is because they're they're not common, I guess. And like he's not the worst first baseman I've ever seen. I think I remember when they had to play. Travis Hafner at first for during interleague play um, back in like the aughts and ugh, Jesus Christ. I mean, even Edwin Encarnacion, I think they had him over there a couple times. He wasn't good. No, he, wasn't he was the worse, but he was pretty bad. Yeah, though, okay, so. just a couple stone footed guys. Like that's a, at least you know Naylor isn't quite so stone footed. He's a little bit athletic. He's athletic enough where they trust him to play right field and you know probably in a very difficult to play right field there in Cleveland. Yeah. I hate when the ball is hit near him when he's in that outfield. It's, it, 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 <laughs> I mean, if he can catch it, sure. But if that ball hits the ground, it's not uh, going to be pretty. Just, that arm to, is just weak. If he has to go back on it, if he has to do anything, it's like, oh, <laughs> shit. This is a mess. <laughs> like, and that was the other thing with Franville, too. It's like, not that he took terrible routes. Like, he played a ball off the wall really well. He he was running in the right direction, just not nearly fast enough. Like, yeah. You can see him running, and it's a struggle. Out the enthous- there, but... He has the smarts for it. He knows, he knows <laughs> how to do it. He just literally physically cannot do it, which, I mean, you know. Which is fine. Hit the yeah. ball a thousand feet. I don't care if you can feel it. We, so. can, hey, we can't all be uh, Mookie bets, I guess. Yeah, he's we close. We can if we try. <laughs> if we believe. 
Yeah, I, I guess you could sort of call Shane Bieber the Mookie Bats of pitchers, Merritt. Um, I think I'd call. I guess, well, I guess it'd be the Mike Trout of pitchers because no, uh, Jacob Degrom him, might be the Mike yeah, Trout I'd, of pitchers, I'd say, and then yeah, Degrom is because he has a sustained success. Although he's a late bloomer, though. Yeah, but I mean, Trout wasn't supposed to be what he is necessarily. He just was suddenly the best player, and just like Jacob Degrom, very suddenly was the best pitcher. Yeah, he started when he was twenty, but. Yeah, so Bieber's the Mookie is the point, I think. I think that's fair, I, th- right? I think it's that he's a... Yeah, sure, what the hell? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> just, just make it up on the spot. Okay. The point is that we're talking about Shane Bieber now and the fact that he is pitching absolutely insane through the first four starts of his career. It's, what, is it the best or tied for the best? No, he's tied for Nolan Bryan with the most strikeouts through four starts. Um, he's the first pitcher ever to have four starts of at least 10 strikeouts since the mound was moved back in 1893. He's been ridiculous. He was Detroit and Kansas City shut down, of course, in the first two starts. 12 strikeouts each there. But then he played two legitimate lineups. The White Sox, he shut down for a whole nine innings. That was the really great pitching matchup against Lucas Giolito. He had 11 strikeouts there and a walk. I, I like that he came out at the end there. I think he was he was either close or over 100 pitches, but Tito still let him go. I thought it was yeah, good. Because, it'll I mean, be like 112 or something like that, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't exactly like high-stress pitches, so it was a good decision both as an entertainment thing just to let him go out there and pitch and also because he was probably fine. He wasn't exactly under stressful situations. Like three hits in the whole game, he was fine. And then uh, Cincinnati on Sunday, another legit lineup, obviously. They, they, they crushed Cleveland in one game. So three runs there. It was a little more difficult, but 13 strikeouts. And this is a season where he said he wants to strike out people less so he can work deep into games. But he's just been so good that he's doing both. Like in the first two games, he didn't make it out of the seventh inning. But in the last two, eight innings, nine innings, because he was just been completely unhittable. There's nothing in. And the interesting thing, too, against Chicago was that he he didn't have a strikeout for like the first four innings. And then he just got 11 in the last few. So and he just started piling up. He doesn't he does that every now and again. I feel like that's a kind of a thing he just starts doing. Like he just because he's such a smart pitcher. And I think and, and that's that, that's something he's been doing even like. From when he came up, really, I mean, obviously from 2018, I think he just kind of get his feet wet. But from 19 on, when he just stopped throwing fastballs, he's just so like he just sets people up. And I, I know we're gonna get to it in just a minute, but like I think that's what he's doing, like with his cutter specifically, just like Kluber did a couple times there. It's like throughout the year, you kind of start folding in this other pits once people start getting used to, you know, like in this case, we go oh, well. It's not like they'll be sitting there, and in that split second, amazing thing that hitters can do where they can see that it's a fastball or a slider. They'll see it. They'll say that's not a fastball because it's spinning, but it's his cutter. And so instead of moving, you know, nineteen feet, it only moves like six inches. And so it'll be a, a, a strikeout looking. Yeah, and you mentioned it too that his cutter has just has vanished. Like we were looking before we, the show that there's a little gap in there. Like his his pitch movement profile is exactly the same as it was last year. Um, he's got a slider and curveball that both drop just about the same, but a little more. And then his his uh, his four seamer is up there. But then there's this little spot where a little cutter. He even threw one that was right where the old one was, and it's just the one, just yeah. the one little cutter. Robbie Grossman, there. just a, it was a it was a high a high ball. Just I don't know. I don't know what the thought process was. I don't, I, again, you know what? I don't even know if it was a shittily thrown cut, uh, a slider that just kind of ended up drifting up. But yeah, what the hell? And, if he did, it was, it's funny because it looks exactly like his cutter did too. So if he managed to accidentally throw a perfect cutter, yeah. <laughs> which is what he was going ah, for. Shit. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I threw a cutter then. <laughs> I, I do love the idea if he is just hiding it until like midway through the season and decides his other stuff is getting caught on to. Yeah, because like, right, I mean, fine. I'm starting fifth pitch. Going on, I remember just looking at like uh, Kluber's pitch charts a couple years ago. I think it was 20. It was one of his Cy Young years. Um, his last, his his third Cy Young. He won, he won three, right? Kluber, yeah. uh, two, I two. Think, right? Okay, his second Cy Young in twenty seventeen, I believe. 
Um, yeah, if you just look at his pitch charts, it's, he's like 50-some-odd percent fastballs in April, May, and June. And you just start seeing that slurve just kind of start, and just all of a sudden he's throwing that 48% of the time or something like that. And that was the year where he just – something clicked in the second half, and it was just – that was it. Like the game the, the game was over for hitters. He just was – he allowed like something like six runs in the entire second half of the season or something like that. Okay, right now, Kluber. Corey Kluber is who I'm talking about, Matt. Not the other Kluber. No, no Surrey Bib. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> it was I, not good this year with the Yankees. But no, but I, I, I think this, that's the kind of thing that great pitchers are able to do simply because they just have that the repertoire to and um, knowledge and trust in everything they throw. And I mean, Kluber was doing it was twenty, fucking, thir- you know, like 29, 30, 31. The fact that Bieber is still only, you know, what twenty five, I think. I mean, it's absolutely unspeakable that, that he's able to do that. It's, it's crazy and. Um, it was always kind of a shame that Kluber like didn't start dominating until he was like 27, 28. Because if he would have been like Shane Bieber at Shane Bieber's age, I think he might be better. But I mean, looking at it now, I don't know how, unless something terrible happens to Shane Bieber, I don't see how Corey Kluber is going to end up being better than him. No. Either by yeah. peak or overall. Because I, I don't even think Shane Bieber is at his peak yet. Because <laughs> I mean, physically, age wise, he's not. And I don't think pitching wise, I think you can get, it's scary to say that he's even better than this. But I don't know if he, if he walks fewer batters and if he actually does consciously go out and get less hard contact because that's another thing he did too like this year if you look at his his stuff in the last couple years when he is hit he's hit harder but this year it's dropped so if he did make a conscious effort to induce more weak contact even that is already working for him even though he's still striking out too many batters for his his goal of getting deeper in the games but if he's striking out still 15 14 batters per nine and also getting weak contact like it, it seems like he can get even better than this if he's not walking more because even this year, he's walking more than he ever did. Like, if he gets that down, he's back to being like a sub two ERA ridiculous pitcher. So, well, again, I mean, four plus pitch. I mean, I, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't call his fastball a plus pitch necessarily. It's only what 93, 94. Well, you kind of plus just how he locates it, I guess. Right. I mean, yeah, control wise. But like, it's it's a, it's a, it's a very solid pitch. He only throws it 36% of the time at this point. So, why, who cares at that point? His changeup has gotten, has gotten great and his, um, I still, I don't know. I still have half think that it's the same pitch, his, his slider and his his curveball. He just kind of um, manipulates in some way. There, and I'm probably wrong, but you know, I, I, like, I mean, they're mostly the same. It's based on the the movement profile. Just right. the curveball drops a little more, which is I think even more terrifying if you're an opposing pitcher. Like you see this pitch that's dropping. Is it going to drop down? Like down X inches or left? X inches yeah. plus two? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be. You have so many ways you have to look. It's just a subtle difference, and he just has all these things he can throw, and they all look exactly the same until the last absolute. Second. And like you brought up Degrom earlier, obviously, but I mean, it's 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 counterintuitive what he's doing with adding velocity at thirty three. Um, he's probably a freak of nature, and that's why that's happening. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, there's there's always that hope in the back of your head, like oh, and then also he'll be throwing ninety six in two years. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> and. Probably not, but you know, whatever. I mean, I mean, at this point, I'm not going to down him. What has he added? Like, is it a, a mile per hour every year the last couple of years? Right? He, it, it's been ticking up, and that's what's been so impressive. Yeah, exactly. Like, he's, he's beyond anything else. Like, he just beyond emerging from seemingly total, you know, nothing. Oh, he's 93, 93, 94 last year, and then he's back at 93.1 so far this year. But again, that's fine. I mean, everything else just fits so so well into that entire kind of construct. Um, the fact that he just lives in that kind of 83 is his slowest pitch. That's his curveball. 93. The fact that he lives in that range is so wild to me. But, I mean, DeGrom does too, which is it's 101 and then 94 for a slider. So, Yeah. I I also like that 
like these two guys are just as dominant, but a completely different way. Yes. Like you're just explaining it. I think that's part of the reason that pitching is so much more exciting than hitting right now. Because every great hitter is basically the same hitter. They're just, they pull the ball and hit it 7,000 feet. And that's, I guess you have some who can do that, but also go opposite field with it. But the, the point is to hit home runs right now. But pitchers, uh, you can quantify all the different things they do. I'm sure hitters are doing more different things too, but that's not as much as you can measure. And they were, they were talking about that a little bit on, um, on the distraction, the defector podcast. Uh, they had Meg Rowley from Fangraphs on there. And like just, and they made the point that there's, there are no, like there, there's only one kind of, like you said, there's only like one kind of hitter that's any good anymore. It's just guys who hit bombs and they work lots of some or no walks. Whereas, I don't know. Why don't we have guys who hit 60 doubles anymore? Because <laughs> it's cool. You know, like, <laughs> right. I like that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, like the, the, the Dustin Pedroyas of the world were, are are neat because they just hit, you know, 57 doubles or something like that. You know, and, you know, you get 15 home runs out of them too, but, like, they're just spraying the ball out of the ballpark. and they, You they, can't blame them because, I mean, it's, no, it's I mean, what works. Like, we've it, solved hitting. We haven't yeah, solved pitching yet, yeah, which is there, the thing about it. I mean, yeah, you, ha- you have to trick these guys who can all hit the ball you know, 500 feet, right? Like you, even guys who are just platoon guys, you know, like I saw Kyle Schwarber hit the ball 463 foot, feet on Friday night. I mean, that's an unspeakable distance. Uh, I also saw Max Scherzer pitching the same night and he was just throwing everything at people and just blowing away with change-ups and fastballs and sliders and whatnot and keeping them on their toes or on their heels. Which one? Both, perhaps, at the same time. And that's why it's so hard to hit, because you're in both your heels and your toes. Because <laughs> you're rocking back and forth the whole yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. Like, what do I do? I'm in a rocking chair here. But uh, <laughs> that's why, I don't know, like you said, we've solved the hitting, which is too bad, because the other kind of hitting is, more, is neat, I guess. We're never going to like, I just want more seasons like that one that Curtis Granderson had, where he hit 20 of everything. I'm like, that's just neat. Like, 20, 20 triples? I don't, that, that's, like, never going to happen again. Because the guys are going to be, he's just going to hit home runs instead. I mean, at least we have like Nick Madrigal on the White Sox and Luis Arias on the yeah. um, Minnesota are fun. Like they're all in our division too, which is kind of interesting. But yeah. there are a couple guys sprinkled here and there. I just wish there were more. But but again, I get it. Like this is what works. I'm not saying teams shouldn't do it because it's clearly the the correct strategy to use. I, just I don't even know if moving didn't. the mound back aesthetically. Yeah. That's all. You know, whatever. Yeah. And I don't even know if like moving the mound back will fix anything. Even if it does, I think you still eventually come back to the fact that hey, home runs are better than anything else. <laughs> Honestly, I don't think it will. It'll just make it easier to hit home runs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like at the end of the day, like how like I I, I, I hasn't it been shown that the velocity doesn't really matter with how far the ball goes. Like, mu- like the majority of the distance provided in a home run. I know that we've always had that idea that the harder you throw it, the further it travels. I, I mean, it, I, I, I get the thought process, but I swear I read something a while back that like disproved that. Like 90 some odd percent of the energy from a, from a home run is front is developed by the hitter himself. Cause I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking back to some of the absolute bombs I've seen hit off like Tim Wakefield in the past, or, you know, like, He's, he's throwing the ball 64 miles an hour. It's not like he's whistling it in there at 102. And if that does what it is, like if it doesn't make a difference, then I think that kind of counts in MLB's favor for moving the bound back. Because the point isn't just to get more home runs, it's to get more people hitting the ball. Like if you could get these guys, like get Nick Madrigal so he can hit more balls and hit, like even Jose Ramirez when he wasn't a home run demolisher, like give him more doubles, like give more of these guys that aren't going to hit ones out of the park, but maybe they're having trouble with these 99 101 oh i don't know mile proper cutters from some people they have trouble with them then you can get them more chances to just get around the bases and, and do it that way but that's the i think the the good part of it if it actually works out like that but i don't know if it will i think eventually we're gonna come back to the fact that hitting dingers is good and you got to find a way to do that and people who don't will just be 
it might be slower to turn them out, but they'll be turned out again when people figure out how to hit more home runs from back there, and then it won't matter a whole lot. So I mean, I guess I just, I just, I mean, and obviously we have Michael Brantley out there still, but even that, you know, even a couple of years ago, we had twenty-two dingers. We'll probably hit twenty-seven this year, and, and you'll know, we'll get forty doubles out of them too, obviously. But I like again the bad ball profile of like fifty doubles, ten triples, and five home runs. That's neat. More of this, please. Yeah, the problem is like it's it's not fun when everybody hits home runs. It's fun when like three people hit. 70 that's what's really fun to track nobody cares if everybody hits 40 like they should just inject one per random player with steroids every dude everybody you gets, are you are <laughs> preaching to the choir right there <laughs> one other player gets a placebo one guy gets just jacked up all year long they don't tell him who it is we'll know pretty quickly but <laughs> yeah we'll know but you don't tell them immediately <laughs> damn i really I guess it's agreed then. 2003 was the best year in baseball history. <laughs> just one guy. Just one guy goes like, fine, screw it. Watch this. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, there aren't many moments where I remember where I was when it happened, but I remember where I was when Barry Bonds hit his, what was it, 756? I, I believe I was in bed because it was a, a Giants game, and it was like Very late. 10 o'clock at night, and right. I was in my little jammies and right. Right. watching. I think it was at my buddy's house, but yeah, he's, it was just a laser, but. Yeah, he's really good. Do you, know, do you know who else hits lasers, Merritt? Tell me. Uh, it's our, our old, old friend, Jordan Luplo, who is... Uh, yes, it's true. <laughs> he is a laser hitter against... As long as you pitch left-handed, he will hit lasers off you. Um, over his career, it, it's a lot better of a split than looking... Even like this year, he's really bad against lefty for some reason, which is weird, but it's a really small sample. But um, Jordan Luplo, he's obviously a right-handed hitter, a known lefty killer throughout his whole career. Um, the Pirates didn't seem to know it, and they just sort of... They actually didn't bat him very much against lefties let alone platoon him he was just sort of out there and they they sent him over for eric gonzalez which was kind of weird but now that cleveland had him they platooned him really hard in 2019 he turned into absolutely an elite hitter against left-handed hitters he was basically mike trout on that side of the plate in 2020 they tried to just let him play against everything he was kind of bad against everyone but again 2020 kind of threw it all out it was a weird year you're asking him to to identify these pitches he's usually not very good at and it was also you know a global pandemic so he kind of struggled there but um this year it's it's a extremely small sample. It's six plate appearances against righties, but he has three hits. They're all extra base hits. Two were home runs. One should have been a home run, but it was called back for a double, which was the dumbest call in the world. But he's absolutely mashing against righties so far this year. So I wrote today that I think it's this isn't like Yandy Diaz or even when we got maybe a little overexcited about Oscar Mercado. This isn't like a foaming at the mouth yelling for them to let him bat every day. But why not let him bat every day? <laughs> like even if he's terrible, if he's not. What do you got that's better? Because obviously Ben Gamble is not an actual platoon for him. That's just kind of looking at the sheet of paper and lining up the batted handedness and saying go for it. But it doesn't quite work because Ben Gamble has a reverse split, so there's no sense there. But even if Jordan Luplo can be not terrible against righties, I think he's your best option anyway. And if he can hit anywhere near this, like if he just gets better at identifying his off speed, it, with him it's just got to be that he can't pick up the, the breaking ball away which is the problem for a lot of platoon on the same side it's because the ball breaks away from you instead of toward you um but for luplo especially like anything down and outside uh, with a righty it's gone he's or gone as in he's not going to hit it and he's not going to swing at it it's going to be a strike he just can't seem to read the breaking pitches but the only way he's going to fix that is seeing more of them i don't know i, I again it's not like a, a foaming at the mouth i'm yelling at them to to have jordan luplo come in and bat against righties right now just because he's done really good against six of them but I also think this is the time to do it if you're ever going to do it because there's nobody else there. I mean, Jordan Luplo, um, this is the year for experimenting on things just because it's a retooling year, even if they can outpace everything because of their pitching. This is just the year to kind of figure out what you got. And if Luplo, I mean, if he can beat anything against right-handed hitters, you have an overall elite bat. Like if he is even a 90 WRC plus hitter against right-handed pitchers, then 
that's an elite hitter because he's going to be like 170, 160 against lefties. So it's just kind of a, a I want Jordan Luplo to be hitting everywhere because first of all, he's fun. Like he, he had that face that he made when the umpires um, overturned his double that got caught. And then he was mouthing off to the umpire who called um, a really bad strike against him. It was like at his knees and they called it a strike. So he, or I mean like at his shin and they called it a strike. So he was, he was like pointing at the ump, like what the hell are you doing there? So Jordan Luplo is fun. I think is the main thing I'm getting at here. And it's kind of neat. That he's leading off against lefties, but I want to see him hitting more against righty somewhere on this team. Yeah. I mean, they were talking about this on radio um, broadcast on Sunday, just by, you know, Lupo even says like, I've hit, I've hit against righties my entire, literally my entire life. Like I, that's why I'm in the majors in the first place. And then just, and I, obviously that's not really how things work a lot of times, you know, you get, but you do you kind of get it's 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 amazing how quickly you kind of just get labeled a platoon guy very early in your career. And it just it's I mean, I know that he did struggle early on, but like it's not like he ever like he never got consistent playing time. Like coming up as a young guy on the on, you on know, the pirates. <laughs> on the pirates first, but then well, even back then, like when he was coming up, you know, like we're talking about like twenty like a time when they thought they had an outfield too, right? Because they had McCutcheon and um the other like Starling Marte and um Polanco, who was supposed to be kind of the, the outfield of the future of them. So there was not a lot of space for him. And there was space, and he got traded. when he comes to Cleveland, where, you know, I mean, he was caught up in the log jam of mediocrity that they've had as outfielders for a long time. So he couldn't, he couldn't really make a name for himself. And then, but yeah, they're talking about he, he's, I, he can do it, probably. I've, I've thought so for a while now. I mean, and like you said, even if he's just slightly below average, I mean, first of all, if he's slightly below average, he's better than, against right, he's better than most. Um, I mean, everybody Cleveland on the right now. Yeah, exactly. So besides Eddie Rosario, who's already out there, so exactly. Yeah. So I mean, I'll take it. Like you said, I, I love that he leads off against lefties because, like, he, he you're going to get three or four plate appearances there, and then he can do damage. And he had that home run on Sunday against against the righty too. So, like you said, this is it, it. Feels more and more like kind of a weird stealth rebuild year. Like they're just trying to see what they have. And I mean, if you have something in Luplo, you might as well try and find it because if you're not going to go with the other young youngsters you have on the, the farm and stuff like that, then what are you doing? Like, are we just going to keep on rolling out, like you said, Ben Gamble, or I don't even care who else at this point, honestly. It's hard to like, think of who else is there. Like, yeah, I'm, just playing, I'm like, who else could it be, actually? <laughs> ben Gamble, and then, like, I'm literally looking at the list right now. I guess Naylor and Wright, but... That's not saying... I mean, there's like Zimmer and... Murano Ahmed Rosario, I suppose, like, trying to find spaces for him, too, like... It's a very confusing roster when you really start looking at it. I know it's going to kind of creep us into our next discussion point, but with, with uh, Luplo in particular, like just just keep on keep on doing it. They're facing they're going to face a lefty on Tuesday night, so I mean, obviously he'll be there. But although the fact that the guy he's driven in most beyond himself is Yu Chang, so that's pretty cool. I'm always pro that pro more Yu Chang action, but but this it, it it doesn't make any sense for them to not go for it just because. What what else are we going to do? Are we just going to not call up any of the, any farm system guys who could be a good outfielder? Or are we just going to kind of tread water here? I know again it's only April twentieth as you listen to this. Yeah, yeah. I don't think they're going to do anything dramatic either way because no. But like at least through April, you know, give him. I mean, I would almost say just give him the full time job through May, and then, you know, if he digs a hole, then who cares? The team wasn't going to be you know blown doors. And first of all, the, the division itself isn't blown doors off anyway, so it's not like you're going to lose a lot of ground. Yeah, I mean, the Royals are leading right now, so I don't think that's going to last forever. Yeah, that Carlos team, Santana carries that team. So. They have one of the worst <laughs> pitching rotations I've ever seen. So, I mean, that, you know, really things good. trend in a certain direction over time. That's, that's the magic of the long season. Give Lupo the chance. Like, he's 27. He's just hitting the theoretical 
time when a player, why not see a guy who's 130 OPS plus or WRC plus, whatever you want to use. But yeah. So I mentioned that I wanted him, and when I wrote today, I, my plan was to have him full-time center field and you just kind of fit Ahmed Rosario somewhere else. But it seems like I don't get the love affair with Ahmed Rosario. Like he was, he's looked fine in center field. He's had a couple okay hits, but I don't see why everybody's so desperate to get him somewhere. He's had, I mean, he's hit the ball okay, but he's also had plenty of time to prove that he's not just this post type guy who's not what he was as a prospect. And I don't know if he's done that. He's not super old, so it's not time to like give up on him, but he's not a guy that I'm going to, if you think Luplo can be better, I'm not going to sacrifice his playing time just to get, I'm in Rosario in like looking at his stat page, like there's nothing here. He's just, he doesn't hit the ball. Well, he's fast. Sure. (laughs) But he doesn't chase a ton. He doesn't strike out a lot, but he just, he just, there's no hard hits here. There's no, unlike a lot of the hitters on Cleveland, there's no proof that he's been hitting the ball hard and it's been unlucky. It's just that he's, I think this is what he is. He's a backup. He's a, a really good, I think utility player, like a super utility player. He could be, He's basically what everybody assumed Jose Ramirez would be coming up. I mean, he came, Jose Ramirez came from the bottom and then got the hype up, but Rosario's like from the hype and then he's coming back down to the super utility guy, which mm-hmm. I think is perfectly fine. If he, they keep him on forever or as long as they have him through arbitration as this, the backup guy can play everywhere, I'm perfectly fine with that. But I also don't see the reason to either take at bats away from Luplo or even Naylor and Wright. Like I, I sort of said to put him out there if you have to get him playing time somewhere just to get him some at bats but i also don't love the idea of taking time away from Naylor. i mean but yeah he's as far as talking about this roster just the way it is constructed rosario i think is the weirdest one for me because i also don't want to platoon shortstop yeah on the prospect podcast matt schlichting that talked about this i thought it was a good point he mentioned it's kind of like an old man yells at cloud sort of opinion but i like the idea that you don't platoon your shortstop he's kind of your guy that is Maybe we're just spoiled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. We're kind of spoiled from having Lindor for several years, but it seems like a position you keep. He's sort of like your keystone on defense, which I think is makes sense. And I'd rather have Jimenez be that right now than it almost seems like they're playing him because he was (laughs) because they traded Lindor for him, you know, and just like, well, we gotta get the value out of him or else prove that he we can trade. I mean, I don't know. Like you said, cut bait because at this point it's just he, he he has had, I, I think, a lot of time. I, I, I know I'm saying this immediately after saying give Jordan Luplo time, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I, I just it, it doesn't seem like it seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot if you just can't keep on cramming him in there because he, you feel the need to justify trading for him after also trading for a different other. Yeah, I feel like they traded for Jimenez, right? And then he was kind of. I guess you know it's like, like well we we gave you two players so give us two yeah right like, well he gave us two players so uh, yeah I guess we'll give you two players but all we have are all these short stops fine I guess we'll take both of them that's and I'm not even saying I think cut bait would also be fine at this point I'm not I I don't think I I want to go that far but I would also just be okay as him being a backup guy I, no I, I would cut has, bait he, with him being a starter yeah it's, that's what I mean yeah exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. keeping like I, it sucks to just bench the guy but like he he does and you know, he has the tools to be. A wonderful utility guy. I mean, he's, oh, great, yeah. he's great defensively. He's fast, like you said, and he can put the ball out of the park if he if, if he ends up in a you know it's it's it, you can do a lot worse if he's your utility guy basically. And he, you he, could he, have Mike Freeman or Michael Martinez as examples of a wonderful guy. theoretical example, man. Yes, <laughs> but it, it also in a way frees up a lot of versatility because then you have a guy who can play basically every position except catcher um, on your bench, and that you can. Find a different guy to be another one of your utility uh, players. Someone who maybe is a bat first guy, or someone someone named Bobby Bobby Bradley as your utility infielder or something. Just because that'd be fun. Let's do that. <laughs> Bobby Bradley utility. I want to see him at shortstop a couple times. Well, you know, why not? He's athletic. Let him, let him do it. Play him everywhere. Center field. 
Tough. I mean, that can't be worse than playing Carlos Santana out there in the World Series. So Listen, they did that. That happened, and you know what? That should have been proof to us uh, years ago that they just don't give a shit on outfield defense because maybe they just don't think outfield exists. That's why they get bad hitters who also can't play defense out there all the time. March 31st, like, what do you mean we got to put somebody out there? Shit, we didn't get anybody. Wait, There's three what? players out there? We got, yeah. All right, so we got six six guys in our starting lineup ready to go, right? Not again. <laughs> I, I was ah, forgetting geez. something. Forgot about Every that one. Time. Ah, beans. But, yeah, I, I think it's it's time probably to give Lupo a chance out there every day because i don't know what, what what's what's enough time to, to for him to prove to us that he can't actually hit uh right-handed pitching right like at this point he has i'm just pulling the numbers right now real quick 280 combined plate appearances in his career yeah that that, it? see like Damn, rosario really? is over 1500 so i mean there's a you, you've got more of an idea of what rosario is than jordan Luplo, so and so and, and then so you got 251 against righties or against lefties and there's a 300 point OPS split there, but again, over time, maybe he, you know, I, don't know. Uh, I would say, yeah, he's, I mean, he's wonderful. You know, you, you quantify this all together, he's 35, 40 home run guy against right lefties alone. I don't know. I'd say, yeah, give it a try because if it doesn't work out, then you can try something else. I mean, the, the pitching's not going anywhere anyway. They're going to score three runs a game anyway, so doing this is not going to damage their chances too much. And also, he's better than is, Ben Gamble. That's, the, that's all you got to have, really, at this point. So we'll get to see all this stuff um, coming up this week. Cleveland's going to play the White Sox again. It's a shorter series. We're not going to have another four-game uh, mammoth like last time. But this is, we'll have Zach Plezak and Carlos Rodon, which, uh, let me check my schedule here. The last time they played, oh, that's right, the Indians were no hit. Zach Plezak was absolutely terrible. So if Plezak wants to prove that outing was not the new normal, this is the time to do it because it's, he's facing... Pretty much the same lineup, uh, the same pitcher on the other end. Well, you know, what's funny is coming out party last year was kind of was against them, and then also that horrible, <laughs> his horrible idiocy was was he's later. Not that taking me to Chicago. So it's interesting. That was. Uh... He is a you know Chicago will always be a time of, of, of spectacular instance, perhaps for Zach Wheeler. Maybe he'll throw his own no hitter. I don't know. Let's see if that happens. That'd be funny. Actually, I'd laugh uproariously. <laughs> this is a complete unrelated thing but mlb the show 21 they list like these attributes for people one of the ones for zach please zach is homebody i don't think that applies to him but that's what they put um he just stays at home you know he's just, just he's what he a does he's guy yeah he just likes he just likes it at home he doesn't go out doesn't get into trouble at all he just likes to you know hang out with his dog doesn't record instagram videos while he's driving knowing about the media nothing like that but uh but yeah that's the only starting matchup um announced i would assume the other one's going to be aaron savali against who uh, after they're all messed up because yeah because lynn's on the dl now or io or whatever um yeah and remember Rodon was going to pitch on monday but he had the poops so he didn't that's true he was delayed <laughs> i don't even know what their rotation looks like right uh, now they're all over the place it might be cease because he hasn't pitched for a while yeah probably cease, um, cease against the volley would be interesting i think uh, giolito just pitched so it won't be him he was terrible cease is going to be a really interesting i think um just from an outside perspective it'd be interesting to pitcher to watch this year because I mean, if all the information that we've heard and all the chat, you, like, I know you occasionally watch the the um, Chicago feed when they're um, broadcasting, but because their pitching coach now is Giolito's old high school pitching coach, who's helped him kind of overhaul his own uh, pitching motion. They're doing the same thing with Cease now too, and it'll be interesting to see if he actually kind of starts refining his command a little bit because that's always been his problem. Obviously, he's all over the place, but he just throw he throws the ball so hard. So he'll be interesting to watch. I think. This year in particular, to see if he kind of starts making any kind of leap. Because he's 2025. He's been around for a couple of years now, right? I think it was probably his third year. This is his third, yeah. yeah. okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, and he's getting better. Like he's gotten better every year. And he's oh yeah, no, I mean, and the, the he's talent, not great, but talent is very much there. Like he throws with him, and then there's another guy they have on their farm just now. Um, are you talking about Kopech? Oh, no, he's not in the farm. No, he's no, no. Um, shit, what's his name? He throws the ball very hard. Um, but any of them do. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, they're, they're, nowadays. Yeah, they're, 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 they're pretty good. Reynaldo Lopez. That's who it was. Yeah, he throws the ball. You know, a billion miles an hour. Also, so. I mean, they, they they have the the raw materials to have a de- an absolutely dope rotation. Um, but yeah, I'll probably see. Is, is this two games? Yeah, it's just two. At least it's not one where there's like a, a a gap and then two games, another gap. They do play. Yeah, so they play Tuesday. This is Wednesday, the weirdest Tuesday, schedule Friday. ever, dude. I don't understand the schedule makers anymore. I just it doesn't make any goddamn sense. I like the back when it's done by people. I'm over here young at a cloud. <laughs> wasn't it done by like two people yeah, too? Two, it wasn't a, like... a married couple did it for 45 years or something. And it was always, you know, and they they, they, it was, they put work into it and they kind of made sure that the trips made sense. Now these like, dang algorithms. And now you're going from here to there to everywhere. You're flying from Seattle to New York back down to Atlanta. That's not actually happening, but you can imagine what it would, what it would be like if it did, right? And I get why they do it, but it kind of cheapens it. Like the last couple of weeks are just packed with divisional games. Like you can you can feel the the influence of trying to make drama as opposed to if it was truly just randomized with a computer with and smoothing out the schedules. Like I mean, the NFL does that too now. The whole yeah, last uh, the whole last month, I guess, is all divisional crap. Yeah, which I, I get it, but it, it just kind of yeah. Sucks. I get I hate it, but I get it. So yeah, <laughs> it, it's not the worst either. It's just kind of like you can tell like manufactured drama isn't quite the same as when it happens every once in a while. So no, I think I, again, two, two games will be quick, but it, I, I, I like, I like these, these, I think these matchups are going to be a lot of fun all year just because, Oh yeah. It's... Especially now that what's his name's out. Um, Oh man, who tore his chest open because he was too strong. <laughs> Eloy Jimenez. Eloy Jimenez. Yeah. The, the man, man, man who, who died. Yes. Uh, yeah, according <laughs> to the rest of the roster died. <laughs> the dead man. Yeah. <laughs> they held a memorial for him. I don't yeah, know. Dead. But, um, I don't know. I, I think it's going to be a very nip and tuck season uh, series all year. I'm assuming your man Mercedes is going to, is going to do, do regress uh, I don't somewhere. Know. I think he's going to be good. He's only got a 439 bat pip. That seems sustainable. I, I mean, good lord. He hit that ball so far. <laughs> it's so far on Tuesday. My God. He's so thick, too. and It's like he's wearing a shirt one size too small. <laughs> he's one of those guys who, uh, not like Lance Lynn, who's just a big dude. Like He's he's big and looks athletic, which I think is always yeah, my favorite. Yeah. I mean, he... Looks, he, he you know, he reminds me of the look of the guys like back in the '90s had who were just so muscle bound. They're just like just overly thick, like just very. Oh yeah, like like Pudge Rodriguez. They're usually catchers, like Pudge and Piazza, or even just like um, Jose Canseco when he was at the PK. Well, that one was maybe not all natural. I'm just saying um, the look. All right, bumpage. I'm just saying he looks. He <laughs> reminds me of the Juice Boys from the '90s. I'm not saying he is that. He's just a big thick dude, but it just reminds me of that. Yeah, I also want to watch um, Adam Eaton because he was. Uh, at first, I liked him because in the no hitter when they were up by six, he he faked a bunt later. I that that was one of those things where I hated it because it was against my team. But if it was my team, it would have been the best thing ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before the pitch, he like act like he was going to bunt, and that was great. But then on, I think it was Saturday, he slid. He was basically wrapped around um, Andres Jimenez's legs, and then he tried to Andres Jimenez tried to stand up. He was and so he mad. Him off the bag. <laughs> he, <laughs> you could tell he didn't really want to push him. He was just he sort of did it, and then. Um, I like that Cesar Hernandez was the first to come over and then stand in front of Jimenez. And then Jimenez behind him had his arms up. Like it's just kind of funny that Hernandez was in front of him, but Jimenez was all ready to fight. Um, and Hernandez was pissed. He like as they were pulling Eaton away, I saw that Josh Naylor had to get in there and pull Hernandez away. So 
I'll be interested to see if that rolls over at all. I know Adam apologized um, pretty soon after and it kind of cooled off and nobody mentioned it again, but he also leaned into a pitch at one point. He did that. He did the bunt thing. So I want to see if he keeps sort of antagonizing Cleveland. I, I want more rivalries like this. I want Adam Eaton to be a dick and piss off Cleveland. And then they, I mean, not throw at each other, but tiny shove each other and get angry and say mean things after the game. I want all this. We That's want a, I mean. a nice, a nice old fashioned bargain basement Padres versus Dodgers <laughs> is what we want. <laughs> that is exactly what I just described. Isn't it? Neither team's very good, but they hate each other. Yeah. So. You know, they're, they're both fighting for the division or at least second place. The, maybe yeah, third. They're both fighting for the same position in the division. <laughs> now we will not, we will not elucidate on that at all. It is exactly as, and you know what? Maybe it'll be like this the whole way through. The entire division is just going to eat itself. That just like broke my illusion of how good the series is because Dodgers <laughs> and Padres just happened. Listen, <laughs> it's, it's a it's an equally it's equal levels of talent going at it trying to win every moment. At the end of the day, isn't that what we all want here? It's it's not good. It's, it's my it's not it's, it's a little league or something. At least they're still pros. <laughs> It's, just, it's the same tension, just kind of scaled down. If you exactly. click the corner of it and dragged it in, it's the same size, but just yes. the same dimensions, just a little bit smaller. Right, exactly. You know what? And I care about it more because those guys out there in the West Coast, they're all flash and stuff. They're the grit <laughs> of the Rust Belt, baby. Anyway, we don't even know how good those teams out West are. They only ever play each other. So, you know yeah, what? Right? And they play at like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Who does that? Are the games even happening, Matt? I don't know. I, I look Absolutely at the backs where they say, oh, it looks like Fernando Tessie's his home run. Did he, though? Oh, I thought Clayton Kershaw was washed up, and now he's throwing shutouts. And maybe he is. Maybe they're making it all up. So, how are we to we'll know? know? All they ever there's do no is possible play... way to know. No, I mean they're all playing in Coors Field half the time. The place is fake. Uh, the other half of the time, they're playing in places where <laughs> San Diego. What San is that? Diego, I've never fa- heard of that. They don't have baseball there. It's a fake place. Uh, and then the Los Angeles. That's all just movie magic, anyway. The only place I can trust really is uh, San Francisco because I've been there. But it could have just been a set or something or an old jail, for all I know. So yeah, what I'm saying is that the NOS is a fake division, and you can't trust how good the teams are because they only ever play themselves. And then when they get finally get to the World Series, they get to play against a small market team like the Rays. So what I'm saying is asterisk, anyway. <laughs> um, so yeah, after that two game series, they'll go uh, four games against the Yankees, which. Again, if somebody lives in New York, this is my World Series, my Super Bowl every year, is beating this damn team, which I got to tell you, the last couple of years have been rough because of the playoffs. Um, not a fun time, but as long as they can at least win this, I think I'll be a little happy. And right now, like, obviously the Yankees are going to turn around eventually, but it'd be really cool if they didn't for like another week because they are an absolute dumpster fire. And it's, I think we've... We've almost gotten complacent with slow starts because of looking at our fan base compared to the Yankees. Obviously, people are mad like when Cleveland isn't good, but also nobody's throwing baseballs on the field, and like the Yankees are not prepared to be this bad early on. We've kind of just accepted it, and we kind of get that eventually we'll be better. Just kind of bummed but, out about it, though. Yeah, it's just ah, kind of bu- we're just sad <laughs> and accept. But Yankees fans are so pissed because they're just not good, and I get it. They're terrible. They have like one of the worst offenses in baseball, the second worst slugging percentage with. In an offense that has Jim Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judge and a hundred billion dollars injected into it, and you still can't hit a home run, it's kind of. I get why they're mad, but I also think it's hilarious because of the Yankees and fuck the Yankees. So Jim Carlos Stanton care. makes more money than the entire Indians roster. So <laughs> well, I'm I mean, sure there's a few of them you could find there. Yeah, but Stanton. Yeah. yeah, but also I think we might see Corey Kluber this weekend. Oh, he's not been good. He's part of the uh, James Antalion hasn't been good either. So all these guys that like some guy named Nick Nelson might be might also be someone who makes an appearance. I don't know. Yeah, their whole bol- their whole rotation is falling apart. 
Yeah. Well, they, I mean, they lost Tanaka. They lost James Paxson. They didn't really fill it with anything. I think that's the Yankees' biggest issue, which is kind of something. It doesn't matter how much of a um, salary you have. If you're replacing it with these bargain basement, sorry, Corey Kluber, but <laughs> bargain basement pitchers, Reclamation the fan projects. base is not going to be happy. Well, there you go. That's a nicer way to say right. it. <laughs> Bounce back <laughs> candidates. I've been writing about the Indians for long enough where, uh, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I know how to, you, uh, you know, make a euphemisms and I almost yeah, said euphem- but, euphemize, but that sounds yeah. wrong. <laughs> but they're not exactly signing Garrett Coles out there. It's, you know what? Place. And like, all right, I'll say this. I, in a sense, I understand where the average Yankee fan is coming from because to your point, they do have unlimited money and they did just watch the only other team that has unlimited money spend said unlimited money on pitching and things they needed to bolster a World Series defense, right? Like the Dodgers dumped a bunch of money into Trevor Bauer and they have Kershaw, they have Urias and a couple of young guys who have developed pretty well. And the Yankees just kind of kept, um, what's his name? Mayhew, and then after that, they just kind of went, oh, oh this works out. And even that was a struggle. It wasn't like they didn't come out early and just get him. They they tried to make sure they got him yeah, for the least amount of For some reason, R- Ruth Ned Odor is playing more than him. I don't know what's going on here, but uh, Jay Bruce is now retired. <laughs> also, I forgot about that. Yeah, so he had ostensible starting first baseman's retired. Like Mike Talkman is probably going to play there now. He's. It is amazing how bad they are right now. And like, it's just you, you don't you almost see the 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 structure of them getting better because they do still have judge and Stanton and Hicks. Oh, Hicks sucks. Sanchez. I mean, they're, they're going to hit a bunch of home. Oh runs. yeah, sure. I mean, they'll but... be good, but I, it's just like I was saying before we started the podcast, it's just the, the division's really good. Like the blue Jays are a strong team. The Orioles don't suck as much as they used to, uh, which is saying something, you know I mean? They're, they're oh, still yeah, going to, they're still going to lose 90 games. They're not going to lose 105 or whatever. Uh, the Red Sox are, you know, they are hitting again, at least. They can't, their pitching is spotty, and the Rays are very good. They're just going to piss everyone off and scrape by and win 94 games. So the Yankees are just in a tough hole because I, and I know it's only, you know, a couple of, it's only five and 10, but like that's a, that's a bigger hill to climb than, than it seems, I suppose. And they just don't. There's a good chance the division is decided by like five games and they just lost five in a row. So, right, exactly. And like, and you look at the rotation too, and you're like, who is going to be good in the rotation now? Like, even. I don't even know. Garrett Cole is great, obviously. Montgomery is, has never been all that good. Corey Kluber is 35 years old, and I hope he's still good. I don't know, he's still getting a lot of strikeouts. He's not walking a lot of people, I don't yeah, think. he looked all right for that first Actually, he's walking a lot of people, never mind. At first, but... Uh, Jameson Tyon is, you know, whatever. Domingo German is not a guy who you can never really trust that much. He's kind of a swing starter, and he's listed as a fifth starting pitcher, so... I don't even know if they're both, but yeah, I just, I, I understand where Yankees fans are coming from simply because if you have the money gun, shoot the money gun. It's Why not are, exactly a hard formula like, here. Like the, the, the Dodgers did that. They shoot the money gun. They also shot the money gun over at their developmental side of things and just made that stupid good. So I don't know. I'm assuming he's probably going to end up with Brian Cash and getting fired or something. I don't know. Which is crazy because he's done. He's been there forever, good, dude. But, I mean, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like you look at his, his overall you know career with the, with the Yankees, it's great, but it's just, they also haven't won a World Series now in 11 years, which, boy, I wish I had that problem. But <laughs> and I think teams are going to look at the Dodgers and see, like, Andrew Friedman, who came from the Rays, who had to work with such a small budget and and just expanded it so well. I think that's going to be the future of it. Like, they'll, they'll take these guys from the Rays or Cleveland, like Chris Antonetti at some point. Yeah. Like, give him $200 million to work with and, and watch what happens with your team. I'm well, sure I, th- be- I think that's what's so frustrating for Yankees fans is that, like, 
Cashman can do that sort of thing. I, th- I think, I think, and it's not just all him. I, was, I think that the structures are there for them to continue to do those things. It's just they cheaped out at random times. That didn't make any sense. And like, you need to be good. Like at the end of the day, like, I don't know. Like, they're, they're not going to lose New York or anything like that. You know, the Mets may be good now, but they're still the fucking Mets. Um, I don't think they're good. Re- I guess they are okay right now, but well, I mean, they they they, they made the big splashes, right? They're, they're yeah. the ones who ma- made all the big noise. And if they'd been able to sign Bauer, that, w- that would have been a big deal. But they also played a lot of games. But yeah, it's 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 this happens every couple of years is where the Yankees fall into in, into the toilet and they figure something out. I, I remember one year it was get Roger Clemens back. It didn't work out, but you know whatever. It was at least interesting for a while. Maybe they'll resign Roger Clemens, is what I'm saying. All right, Mary. Uh, every Monday, we ask everybody on Twitter, uh, usually a poll, but we couldn't fit the damn names in this time. So we just left it as an open-ended question. Couldn't for figure it out, people. Sorry. <laughs> it actually worked out pretty well. We got a bunch of responses. Um, we asked today at Cover the Corner, we asked everybody for tonight's podcast, what's your preferred outfield for Cleveland right now? Um, there was a lot of responses. My favorite one, I think, is just a picture of Baseball America with Minnie Ramirez, Kenny Lofton, and Albert Bell on it, which is seems weird to think of having three outfielders that good at one time. That seems impossible right now, but that's that's what they had, and that's what people want. And I think at this point, what would that be like? A 50-year-old Manny Ramirez, Kenny Lofton, Albert Bell trio is probably not too far off what they have now other than Eddie Rosario. But there was that one. There was a lot of Rosario and left is the obvious one to stay there. Luplo center, nailer, and right, I think is a pretty common one. Like Again, like we were talking about earlier, I, I don't want – I'm fine with just having Luplo play center all the time. I don't want Rosario – there's a couple of people who are saying that exact thing, you know, Rosario, Lupo, and Naylor, which honestly I'm fine with. Um, I, I can roll with that right now, you know. I mean, obviously it'd be cool to see what Daniel Johnson's got going. One guy who says, one of his answers is what, Rosario, Rosario, Lupo, and the DJ off the bench. At that point, I'm like, why, why Ahmed Rosario? Maybe they're just sick of Josh Naylor, I don't know. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, why have Ahmed Rosario there? Why not have Daniel Johnson be the starting Right, exactly. Like, at that point, like, what are we, like, what, what is, what, what is the attachment to, um, to, to Ahmed Rosario, except for, you know, the same thing that the team is doing where they just feel like they're trapped in, we have to play him because we traded our all-star for him. But like, but yeah, no, I think, I think my idea would, would I mean, it, right now would probably involve Daniel Johnson. I'm just stuck because I like Josh Naylor so much. And so I want to make sure he's out there trying to get his chances in because I think he's going to be good. He hits the ball so damn hard, Matt. And I just, I love it. Like, I think the right answer is Naylor at first, though, so I don't think it matters. Like you I think you're probably right. Yeah, I mean, you can have Daniel Johnson and right and have him at first because Bobby Bradley and Josh Jake Bauer. I mean, Bauer's at this point. I think I can, we can call it like they're going to keep putting out there just because they'll lose him if they try to DFA him. But we can pretty much put a fork in that one and then just wait on Bobby Bradley. But Bobby Bradley was the clear answer. He'd probably be up by now because him and even Daniel Johnson, like they're not guys who you manipulate their service time for. So. I'm forgetting about the freedom that first base uh, kind of provides you there because I've been forgetting that that actually is just... Although then we will get on to Yu Chang, which, as we all know, that's a problem because we need him out there to get his own chances. I, uh, I refer back to what we were talking about earlier tonight. They need to figure out what they have here. And I think with Yu Chang, we have what's known as a future star. Uh, now, I may be wearing rose-colored glasses. I am. Yeah, maybe a little rose-colored. Maybe a little... They're so rose-colored you can't see through them, but that's... <laughs> It's just a picture of a rose in your peripheral vision. He's also another good utility guy. I mean, like if Rosario, if they flip him or something, then I have no problem with Chang being the guy that plays everywhere and gets like three, four games a week. Sure, why not? Oh, yeah. I, I, I don't know if he's going to be your starting first baseman anytime soon or because he's not going to be your starting shortstop. He's maybe second base after. See, see we got to we gotta make sure he gets his reps now so he's comfortable once he moves to his current <laughs> position as second base, all-star second For base. For the next decade. For the next decade, yeah. But yeah, the outfield, um, 
Zach at Hudbring on Twitter said Ronald Acuna Jr., Mike Trout, and Nick Castellanos. Fair. That's also one that'd be, uh, I didn't specify it had to be in the realm of possibility, and that is also one that'd be very good right now. I just feel like it seems unfair to play Ronald Acuna out of, out of position. Like, although I guess at this point, we're probably moving Trout to left field. Yeah, he's finally declining on defense. He's bad now, so we have to move him probably to DH, actually. (laughs) Although the the real tragedy there would be, of course, uh, having um, Cassianos play defense if we we had any option not to, because uh, (laughs) please no. But then we could have the meme call where it's a deep right. That makes it a home run. For, um... Listen, listen. We need the memes. Is what we need <laughs> that's here. That's what we, that's, the, the memes are better than the offense. Listen, we're chasing out. memes. Uh, what's the score? <laughs> I, I want to write a little script that just tells you whenever, whenever it's three zero, uh, the Reds in the lead, or no, actually, no. I need the Reds to be in the lead and to be three zero, and Castellanos coming back. If I can just kind of wait, wait to just pipe me into that uh, that video feed real quick. Go, Maybe. I need to see if it happens. Again. Right, let's see if it's a, let's see if it will be a four a four nothing ball game. <laughs> and at um, Lev Rizek, he says anything minus Gamel, which is also very accurate. Preach, buddy, preach. Which right now Gamel is in AAA, which I feel bad. He seems like a good guy. He has a fan club on Twitter. That... Listen, bro, I just don't care about some bit ass player. <laughs> oh damn. I want the team to win and be good. He, he got his he first said. hit, Merritt. He's on a roll now. He's going. Not his first hit ever. I mean, listen. <laughs> listen. You know what? On Twitter, there's a Madrigal tracker, not a Gamble tracker. I'm tracking <laughs> Nick Madrigal's chase for 3,000. Well, I'm going to make a Ben Gamble tracker then. Fine, dude. His... Well, you got a lot of work to, to pick up because I want to see I want to see evidence of every single hit. Uh, that won't take long. <laughs> yep. That will not take very long. No. I'm going to track him to 200 hits, and then we'll call it a day. That's enough. That's a, that's a heroic ch- uh, charge right there. <laughs> I do like people that list like Rosario, Rosario, and Luplo because that is clearly a law firm, and I like that. I like the, uh... Call Rosario, Luplo, and Rosario today for your uh, personal injury needs. <laughs> Injured at first base? Call us. I was hit by an ambulance. So. There you go. Call them. There you go. There I'll go. call them. They don't have a number, but you got to find it. Part of the fun. Yeah, you know that's, that's that's part of the excitement. It's all it's a big old. Uh... It's an AR, our yeah. reality. Yeah. All right, Merritt. Oh. That'll do it for us this week. If you haven't already, followed us at Cover the Corner on Twitter, Cover the Corner on Facebook. Um, I'm Matt RLY on Twitter. Merritt is at Merrill Lunch, like Merrill Lynch with lunch. Fun is at CoverTheCorner.com. And uh, Merritt, talk to you next week. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs>